Welcome to Functional Design and Closure. I'm Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We are here for you to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. That's right. We love talking about closure, and we're back with another episode in our series. If you are brand new to this podcast, go ahead and start with episode one. We like to do series in the podcast, and so you're going to get some background on why we do this and jump into our first series. For the rest of you, we are in our Sportify series. Sportify, (laughs) Sportify, Sportify. Right? At Sportify, our mission is to flood social media with sports highlights. And we're continuing this series as we continue to automate the generation of sports highlight videos. So we figured out everything using the REPL. We created a minimalist tracer bullet version that was fully automated. We ran into all kinds of bugs, so we made it testable by factoring out all this pure logic. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 been it's been fun to see how the solution has grown more nuanced as we've gone along, and getting pulling that the, those those pure logic parts away from the I/O so we can test it, um, and then slowly over time we've been accreting all that that information, the pure information. You know what what event we have, what clips we're working on, uh, what, what files we need from the, from S3. We got all those together, and we finally got it all at the same level of the orchestration function, at our at our at our high level, our top level. <laughs> right. So we ended up with this massive let block that showed us every step in this process. We could go to this one place. We could handle the errors there. Something went wrong. We could log it. But that let block really started to get out of hand. But, you know, it worked. It was good. (laughs) And then we ran into a problem. Turns out the media asset manager told us about some clips that weren't in object storage yet. And now we needed to retry until they showed up. And that just kind of messed up the whole process, right? We we, we tried to figure it out. Like, what do we do? You take, take a break. Yes. Yes, let's let's get some hammock time. We're a big fan of hammock time. Uh, it's helpful for many things. And let's let's exam let's re-examine our approach here. And and we realized that we seem to have a pattern in each of these steps of the process. There's a little bit of figuring out what to do, then doing some kind of mutative operation. And then taking the results of that and then and then reincorporating it into our current state, right? And so we called this think, do, assimilate, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so those three different modes of operation are kind of repeated like waves down the let block. You know, it's like a, a series of waves coming into shore. And at the top of each wave is the is the mutative, and down at the bottom is the think and assimilate, you know? And so but the problem is, it's a series of waves. It's locked in this long linear uh, sequence, and so. But instead, what we want to do is want to take that sort of a loop con- idea. Is like we want to do these things, these three operations, one after the other. And so we got to get all that context we have at the same level. We have it at the same stack level. But now we actually want to put it in one level, one actual top level map. So now that we have one map, we we just we make a function for each of those think do assimilate a function to figure out the next thing to do, a function to do it, and a function to integrate the results back into the context because there's just one one single point one single point of context. 
<laughs> right. Not a single point because, of failure, a single point of context. <laughs> yes, yes. And so by looking at that context, we can decide that the right next step is downloading or the right next step is waiting, right? It it gives us it gives us a place where we can can make a a, a little bit of a different choice. But where we left off was what does this really practically look like, right? We, we have this nice clear state with everything in it, this context. Um, we have a really simple loop that's just the calling the function to think, calling the function to do it, calling the function to integrate the results back into the state, and then recurring, right? So that's where we left off. We, we had that. Yeah. And 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 I think that was a good that's a good high level design. But I think we need to we need to do is dig into what that actually looks like. You know, let's 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 pull back the let's open the envelope. Let's you know open the closet doors. Let's let's dig in and actually figure out what what this might actually look like. Because I think that's kind of where we left a cliffhanger at the end of the last episode. So we're not going to do that now. I promise. Right. It's <laughs> it's nifty that any any process or any sequence is really the result of these steps over and over again, right? So that's pretty nifty. But how do, how do, how do we make them? How do we make them in code, right? This is all, all about closure. So let's let's get into some closure. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that you know the first step is right, you know, it, it, before our, all of our context was let bindings, but we need we need them to be in a single you know, map. And so what, probably the simplest way of doing that is we, the, you make the map and, you know, as a top level key is the event and a top level cl- key is the clips we got from the MAM and the top level key is the files that we have on the file system. You know, you basically just take those let block names and you put, make them as top level keys in your, in your map. Right. It's a, a good place to start, I bet. Right. Where, where you have a binding in a let block, you probably have a key in a map, right? There's a symmetry there that, you're, this this kind of map is really more of something I would call a bag of data or a bag of context. <laughs> kind of like a let block is a bag of bindings. You you make bindings and you're like, oh, I, I need another thing. I'm going to give it a name and put it in there. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to go off and do you know a domain design process to figure out what the right entity is. Like this is just kind of like in a let block. You you add more things as you need to name them and reference them. So but you're putting it all on a map. That is the context. So the first rule is everything that matters at all has to be in this map, 100% of everything, right? It can't be missing any information that's needed for making a choice or anything, uh, operation or parameter. It's 100% in the map. Yeah, imagine it's like the, uh, the, no- the, the, the notes that you're, if you were a human working on this, it's the notes that you, the notes file that you would have about the things you need to do. If you ever step away and come back, you don't want to have to be like, oh, well, there was this thing on the side that I had. No, it's all got to be in there. Right. And so now we can have a function. Let's call it determine operation. Make it really clear. And that function takes this full context, this map, and it is going to give us back a map. But we're going to call that map an operation. And so that operation is all about representing something very specific that needs to be done and having a hundred percent of the information that is needed to do it. Right. So, so whatever information was in the map, some of that will get 
uh, cherry picked out of the map and put into the operation map. Some of it may get transformed because maybe the operation needs to view it in a different way. So it will get transformed and put into that map. You can put the raw data that you had and then the transformed data in the operation map. You can make it as big and fat and thick as you want it to, to so that you have 100% of everything that you need for that operation. Yeah, and then because you have all of the context, this determine operation function has has it has a view of the entire world. It can make a decision for based on what operation needs to happen based on on all of the bits of information. It can it can it can decide. Oh, I need to go back and fetch things from the mam again. You know, maybe uh, I I didn't have enough clips. Maybe it's been long. It's been a, lo- a long enough time that I need to go check the event again. You know, I mean, it, it, it can basically decide anything because it has uh, the full context, the full world at its disposal. Yeah. And by having the full context, it can figure out anything it needs to figure out. But what does full context mean? That means if you care about the time things were fetched, well, then you need to have the time things were fetched in that context. Right. If you care about whether or not something succeeded or failed, well, you need to have the outcome. Uh, so maybe you have the the last fetch that was done and what the outcome was, or maybe you maybe you have all of the fetches that were done and all of the outcomes for them. Right. It's cheap, right? Closure allows us to have structural sharing, so all this stuff is cheap. So we can keep a bunch of references to it in memory, and it's not like we're automating some process that has like a gazillion steps. And we're going to run out of memory if we keep, you know, information about every step in memory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. By structural sharing, we were able to um, even have data in our context in multiple places, depending on what we want to do or what 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 is necessary. And then, if there ever is a problem, we have we can just print that out. I know it may take might, might take a lot, but we can just print it out or put it into a portal. And we can go and see what all of the context that the determine operation function had and why it made that decision or not, to whatever function it made. Right. And so then that data that ends up in the operation map, that's also structurally shared with what was in the context map, right? So that's cheap. And so now we want to have a function. Well, let's call it execute operation. And we could structure it as a multi-method. In this case, we have a very finite number of steps. It's not very extendable. So we could just do a single function with like a, a case, you know, statement that we're just gonna match based on let's say the type, you know, so the the operation has a, a key in it called type. So we could know what operation is done. But it's going to take that type and either via multi-method or a case statement. So I think let's just go with multi-method one. Uh, So we take the multi-method and all it should do is go, oh, I am a fetch clip. That's that's all I'm going to do. So so then it it it's a really tiny function. It just picks the bits of things out of the context that it needs. This case, it needs some authentication parameters, you know, like like it probably is just going to have the whole request there because the request has already been pre-made. Like, here's the request. So now do this request. I've, I've got it all set for you. Don't do any thinking. Just just pick up the things off the workbench that were already pre-made and just do the I.O. That's it. Just do the I.O. Yeah, exactly. So like in, in the case of our, we want to fetch data from the, uh, sorry, we want to download a clip from S3. You don't, we don't want to make the, the request inside this execute operation multi-method. No, no. 
that that should be part of the operation. So all these functions end up being very, very, very dumb. Like hopefully one line, or if there's like two bytes IO, it's two lines. It's really so so simple um, because then you just you just take the request and you just pass it to the S3 execute or the uh, uh, AWS execute function, and that's it. You don't do anything else. Don't even try catch. That might even be too much too. Right. So actually, I think the example I got was like download clip. Maybe the operation, even better operation is just uh, AWS request, you know, and then you go, oh, I have an AWS request that I need to do, you know, and but then maybe you have a little more context of the purpose of the request. But I mean, you put the request map in the operation. And so so now this thing's going to go and do it. The nice thing about the, the it being a multi method is then you can you can see in the implementations of the multi the, the uh, def methods that here is the laundry list of all the things that my program does. So yes, we could we could reduce it to like several things might might call it to AWS. So we might want to have one of them, or we might want to have multiple ones that each the body of it is the same. But because we want to know kind of the logical different operations, we can have them be different multi methods. But the nice thing is, you sh- we will probably get to the point where all the multi method implementations fit in a basically in one terminal, <laughs> and so you can just see at a glance, you know, the list of all the things that the, that, we, that we might need to do. Right. So that's one advantage of having a case block because yeah, you can see an index of all the things that exist, and then all that case block can do is just call a function that has a name, and then. Uh, it it seems a little silly, but it, but it puts all the operations together in in one place, right? Like this mm-hmm. is the full list of things that can happen. Okay, and so then this operation is going to return a result, and so that result comes back to the caller. So so now this overall orchestration function, it's going to know what the context is, it's going to know what the operation is, and now it's going to know what the outcome is, right? <laughs> it has everything and. Right. And, and so if we, if we have these operations um, combined, sort of like, here's what you wanted and here's the result, and we have a single map, or if we have the orchestration function, put, you know, operation, top-level key, and result, next key, or whatever, but you have a single map. Now you can make an update context function that takes two things. It takes the context, and then it takes that, that outcome. And then the outcome being the combination of the operation and the result, right? It's a reducing function. Uh, that's that's the idea in, in having it take two things. Right, definitely. Yeah, that the uh, the general uh, you know way that a reducing function is, you take the state, you know, the main context that we have, and you take the additional input, which is you know the output or the result and the operation as one map. And then all it needs to do is return a new context, return a new state context. And one of the nice things about the, this is that because update context is a reducer, we can actually make a series of uh, fake outputs or fake results in our test and run through different scenarios and see what this update context uh, ends up resulting in. It's so it's 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 kind of an interesting. Um, like one of the things we've wanted to do for the last several episodes is make this thing easier to test. And now all of our logic is in both the determine operation and the update context. So all of the logic is we're able to test in our in our test cases because we can just pass in different types of data. 
It makes it really, really easy and it makes it really, really fast. And also we don't depend on the whole world being set up around us. Yes. Your tests end up being captures of different scenarios. You, yes. you call data out and then you got something back. And so you, you capture what actually happened and you start feeding this into your test. So, so your, your tests are grounded in reality. They're grounded in, in what's happened, right? You can still have that update context function, take that raw result and pivot it into some kind of transformed result and then do some logic on that too, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, but that's a pure function. The point is you have pure functions at every level. So we, what we've done is we've aggressively minimized the mutation, the side effect, down to the, the tiniest thing possible. So now anything is fair game for testing. And, and all of this is done without mocking behavior, right? And, and you could say, well, you're mocking data, but you're not really, you're trying to capture mm -hmm. data and, and, and represent a bunch of different situations that you've seen in order to test. Yeah, the, the, the difference between this is, this is, this is we are faking data. We are uh, making data up. Data is inert. Uh, mocks are not. Mocks are uh, behavior that is different than the actual intended uh, you know, like for instance, S3, the S3 API will do something wild in the world. <laughs> the mock will do something wild and hopefully just in your test. Uh, but you're, you're overriding behavior with a mock. With this, we're overriding data. And data, like we've said many times before, data is inert. It cannot hurt you, which is wonderful because then you are free to make all different kinds of data to represent all the different things that you've encountered in the real world. And then as you're going along, hey, there's a new exception. Print out the context. Print out the the operation. Everything. Print out the result, and you can go. Oh, here's a new bit of data, and it's and again, it's data that you can just literally copy from the exception and put it in your test. Like it's not. There's no. There's no uh, need to transform it or to uh, you know um, make it special because it already is. It already is special. <laughs> it already right. is useful. And it's very conducive to using literal responses. Maybe you've sanitized them. Maybe you've uh, reduced them down to the parts that matter, but very conducive mm -hmm. to using actual things that you got off of the wire. And you can visualize them and log them and you know send them to portal or wherever. It's, it's very inspectable. Mm -hmm. And so you have this Absolutely. process. It's very testable. It's very inspectable. It's very repeatable. Uh, and, and so it kind of creates this really simple overall loop of the think, do, assimilate, right? So determine operation followed by execute operation followed by update context loop. That's very simple <laughs> overall to understand, but it allows you a lot of, uh, a lot of ability to get in the specifics and test the very specific scenarios. And another thing it opens up for us is that it really, broadens our ability to to branch like to our, our, our ability we, as programmers we love to conditionalize our you know we love to determine to go go different directions but with it because this is such a small loop and all of the decision making is done in one function then we can we can decide to have our whole process branch out into other in other directions like for instance we can decide to retry we can go back to do a certain operation or we can decide to skip a whole operation, a whole set of operations. Um, we could have done this in the let block, 
I mean, I guess it would be possible, but it's really hard to, so to speak, skip the rest of the let block. You can with, you know, adding some whens in there and, you know, adding conditionals and making it more complicated. But by, by pushing all the logic into a function and just having it return the operation means that all of the all of that that logic and that branching things happen in that function, and then our top level function just blindly follows the instructions that it's given. Right, and so if you think of something like a flow diagram where you have conditional nodes, and if this is true, go in this direction; if this is false, go in that direction. We're simulating this kind of DAG, you know, this yeah. directed acyclic graph, right? The box and arrows kind of thing, right? This thinking function, determine operation, can decide, okay, I, I, I want to do this other command based on the current situation. So so where does that put us with the retry, right? Mm, the, right? The media asset manager gave us these clips that weren't there, and we needed to retry until they show up. So practically speaking, in this situation, how do we do that? Yeah, it's it. it <laughs> I was hoping we'd get to the point where we could recur back to the uh, problem that we introduced last episode. Recur back across <laughs> podcast episode bounds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you're right. So, in the concrete example of retry, how how do we go back and 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 or well, in this case, we want to wait. We don't. We want to retry the fetch, but between the retry, obviously, we can just just retry, 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 retry. You know, yeah. but that's not going to be a good use of our S3 resources. <laughs> well, and delay, delay is a side effect, right? It, you are, you're sitting there not doing anything, right? You're, you're yeah. putting everything off. It is a side effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you could have determine operation return an operation that's the, like a wait or a delay operation. Uh-huh. Like make every single operation, every time that you need to do something that, w- that is not pure, and yes, sleeping is not pure, make it a, a first class execute operation multi-method so you you know that at some point in time my programs need to wait and so when you return that then all that function does is do a thread sleep you know i mean it's it's right not a hard implementation but that's the point you want those implementations so darn small and dumb that there's the only way that you'd mess them up is if you're syntactically calling the wrong function or you're passing the wrong args once it works once it will always work so you that means you no longer have to test it right you're not testing the I.O. call after you run it once. It's, it's tested. Exactly. Now, you may want to test the different sort of scenarios you feed the I.O. call. But then the beautiful thing about that is once you have tried those scenarios out, you're like, yep, it took, it took the I.O. Like all your testing goes back into the pure transform that set up the parameters for the I.O. call. And that's all extremely testable. Yeah, exactly. And I think so, but we also need to know like, hey, wait, just to kind of wrap this into the, the end of the end of the top level loop, the end of the orchestrator loop, the update context. Well, now we're done with the wait. How do we record that? We can record how many times we waited. Maybe we tried it once and waited once and then it didn't work again. So we now we need to wait twice or, you know, we all, but again, we talked about it a couple of times, but we need to build all that context. Every little bit of information we need to know to make a decision in the determine operation function, we need to put it in the context because the determine operation doesn't know what update context did. All it has is the context. Right. So it it's it's blind to anything else. So if the information isn't in the context, it it won't know what to do. 
And this is perfect. This is ideal, right? Because if you're debugging, you can log out or capture every successive context if you want. And you can literally know exactly all the steps your program went through and why Mm -hmm. in 100% of the context. The progression. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's on purpose, it's blinded. So it can't know anything else about like how many times did I loop or anything. Like you have to put it in the context. And, And so in this case, when we wait, what we could just do is go, okay, let's just put the fact that we just waited in, right? So it mm-hmm. returns. And so we can just do like, uh, I don't know, like last wait in a timestamp or I, I, that's the thing. It has to, it has to reason about it blind, right? So it's like last operation, wait. <laughs> so determine operation before we if looked at the context and said the right thing to do is to download this clip and it constructed right. uh, a S3 operation and return that. And so then the execute operation said, okay, I'm doing an S3 operation and it came back with a result uh, key not found. Right. And so then we took that key not found and we put that in the context as last S3 result not found right so now we go back into determine operation and it goes well i think we should do an s3 operation but oh there's there's this s3 error let's say key not found in there so the right thing to do is sleep and wait so we've decided based on the this information we should wait exactly so so it returns the wait Mm -hmm. and we call the wait function and the wait function comes back and when it comes back uh, it, it handed us the wait is over. And so now our assimilate function goes, okay, I, I waited and then I finished waiting. And maybe uh, it indicated that it was waiting for uh, S3 reasons or due to an S3 error. So we go, okay, I should clear out the S3 error and recur. And so now it's going to go back into the determine operation and go, oh, the right thing to do is to download from S3 because there's no S3 error. Right. But that that's the thing is like even your wait operation needs to have context. Like, why am I waiting? So that your assimilate, the update context, can can know the right thing to clear out once the waiting is over. Right. So it so it takes anything that is implicit and it makes it a hundred percent explicit because you can't get data across the boundaries without putting it in the context. So you have no mm-hmm. option but to put everything in the context so you know everything that's going on exactly yes because you are not calling the other function as a function call you are only communicating via data all the things have to be in that data it's limiting but it also is freeing because then all the context is in all the data is in the context right so you're going to end up with a bunch of stuff in this context as you encounter different situations in this case we're like oh well we waited but why were we waiting because we need to know what to clear out because we waited Mm -hmm. So we needed to know, oh, we're waiting and we're waiting for this reason so that we can know the right thing. So by tying your hands, you are now going to discover more information that was just incidental because they happened to be in the same function before that now has to get recorded into context. And and that is going to greatly enhance your ability to figure out what on earth went wrong if you're trying to make this super reliable. Exactly, because you can inspect that entire context or the result. All the th- all the pieces are there at hand, and because of that, you can determine what your next step is as a programmer. <laughs> right, and but, as we said last time, like 
you this is a very sophisticated process at this point in time it's very it, it's it's doing a lot in code to make this very debuggable and all that so depending on what you're trying to do maybe you don't need to take it to this generalized level right maybe you only have a three-step io process you have an orchestration across that you know but we're just kind of trotting this example out to its logical conclusion in this scenario that we've made when we've had to make extremely reliable software before right but but figuring out like figuring out when to call it quits in your implementation is totally fair <laughs> all right so my next question is how do we know when we're done we you know we have determined operation then they call it execute then update context and then it recurs we get determined operation well at the end when we have the actual uh, clip assembled or the sorry the highlight reel assembled we're you know it's like we're we're in this we're in this machine and there's no exit we're on the freeway there's no off ramp you know there's ah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we're yeah we're in the infinite loop <laughs> the infinite right. loop right what's We've the operation one, one highlight yeah. reel and we're just making it again and again well i guess there's probably one side effect that you shouldn't have that function do and that's the get out of the loop side effect <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you I shouldn't have execute operation, to... execute that one, right? <laughs> right. So, so what about when the operation is done, when when the um when the determine operation looks and says, hey, everything is here, 100 percent of everything is here, then why doesn't it just return a I am finished operation or done mm-hmm. operation? Yeah, I mean, you could you could you could return nil. That's the positive indication of nothing. That's true. But but the problem with that is we do actually want to return some information to the actual caller, you know, the programmer at the top there. <laughs> right. We need to return, you know, the here's the path to the, uh, S, the S3 location that has the highlight reel or here's the, you know, I don't know, whatever it needs to do to put it back into that great uh, asynchronous pipeline that called Outlook that <laughs> to send it back to his boss, you know. We want to be able to do that. Yeah, it is a very closure thing to have something return nil to say, hey, I'm finished. There's no more. Stop, do- stop doing what you're doing. So I'm thinking of core async, right? You pull a message out of a, a chan and and if it's nil, it's like, oh, I'm done. So, so nil is totally fair, but I'm a big fan of those explicit operations for sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, so then I have a, I have a question for you. How do we know we're done? How do we know we're done? We, we, we literally just talked about it. Weren't you listening? <laughs> I mean, how do we know we're done with the series? <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Well, we have lots of other problems that we've encountered, so we can probably make this series go on for at least another 30 or 40 episodes. <laughs> That's true. It does feel like we've, we've arrived at a general solution for a reliable method of automation enclosure that is debuggable and testable and actually works and runs and so on and so forth. So it feels like we're at a pretty good place. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good basis for... You know, the other things can be left as an exercise for the listener. For sure, for sure. Well, we always like to come back and spend a little bit of time reflecting on the series. But it seems like this implementation is at a point where it's working pretty well. Yes. And it meets all kinds of properties. And you can take it as far as you want to take it in this direction. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. It's done enough. 
Well, okay. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us finally come to <laughs> finally come to a workable solution. <laughs> uh, but we'd love to hear from you and what you think of it, uh, what you think of these three steps. Uh, if you'd like to send us something, please send it as a tweet at Closure Design on x.com or an email to feedback at closuredesign.club or hop into our Closure Design dash podcast channel on the Closurian Slack and uh, chat with us there. I hope you. I hope you have a lot of things to talk t- talk about with this episode because it's it's this is definitely this is the, this is the meat. This is the fun part. Yeah, we love chatting in the podcast channel in Slack. We have great conversations there. I learn something after every episode from different things people share. So I would encourage you to go to the Closure in Slack, join the channel, become part of the conversation. If you are interested in all the other things that we have made for this podcast, or you want to see the show notes for this episode, go ahead and go to closuredesign.club and you can get all of the things there. All right. We'll be back next week to wrap everything up. Thanks for listening. Thank you.